I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. You've heard me say it a number of times over the last several weeks that it's the women of Afghanistan uh, that are going to be the heart and soul of the future. And in so many ways, as we look back one year later and see some of the challenges that have come up, the step backwards that we have seen, uh, there's still hope. And I think that hope is found in the women of Afghanistan. I came across a a piece that just struck me to the core. Uh, Shirakshi Rai is deputy editor of social media at The Hill. Her piece is on The Hill. It's called Broken Promises, Afghan Women Abandoned but Defiant a year after U.S. withdrawal, and Chirakshi joins us on the line. Now, thank you so much for jumping on with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is such a crucial conversation, and just for our, our listeners, uh, give us a sense of the progress, the things that were happening for Afghan women and what they were making happen inside of Afghanistan before the U.S. pulled out last year. You know, every single Afghan woman I spoke to for my story was just completely in anguish because, you know, they shared stories with me of their lives before um, the Taliban took over. And they remember being able to go to school, being able to go to work, being able to go out, being able to go for a walk if they wanted. And they were really, really steady signs of progress for Afghan women over the last two decades. You know, UNESCO found that the number of girls in secondary school rose from 5,000 in 2001 to around 90,000 in 2018. Mm. And by 2020, about 27% of the Afghan parliament was composed of women, which really gave them an important voice of their own in their government. So there were you know, they felt like there was a lot of progress being made. They felt that they had a voice. And now the women I spoke to really feel the sense of loss of identity and they feel like they are invisible right now. Yeah. And I just want to repeat those numbers for our listeners, because that is so incredible. In just two decades, uh, you went to 27 percent, almost a third of the Afghan parliament was led by women, giving them that that voice that was so vital. Ninety thousand in secondary school uh, by 2018, uh, those numbers are extraordinary. And I actually believe that that's what they will come back to in the end. Uh, but talk to us for a, for a moment about some of that uh, abandonment, that feeling of where they are, but, but also give us some sense. I love this in your, in your piece, uh, that there is that sense of defiance. They have gone underground with some schooling. What, what is it that gives them that, uh, that defiance sense and look to the future? You know, women of Afghanistan aren't giving up. Uh, the, the number of women I've spoken to who have launched Zoom schools in, uh, under underground networks, they've 
really come together. You know, they're still protesting in the face of the Taliban. About 40 women uh, took the streets of Kabul last week to protest against the harsh Taliban policies. They're demanding their right to go to school because the Taliban has banned girls, you know, from going to secondary school. And they really come together online to form the sense of community where they're still resisting the Taliban, which is really sort of frustrating them. You know, they've taken to social media with inventive hashtags like ban Taliban travel to really express to the international community that, you know, this is our voice and this is what we want um, done from you. And if that's how you can help us, we would love if you listen to our voice. So there's really this sense of, of, of defiance. I, I was speaking to one of the translators I spoke to for my piece today, and she told me, you know, despite the fact that they've lost their freedoms and they've lost their their ability to go to school and their ability to go to work and their ability to step out of the house without a man uh, with them, she says that because she has two daughters and she wants them to go to school, she's not going to stop fighting until they have that right to education. So there's really this, this sense of defiance among the Afghan women who said, you know, we're not going to give up. We remember what it was like about a year ago to be able to have access to these freedoms and we're not going to stop until we get them back. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, and I think we one, I think we have to remember that uh, once these women have experienced that kind of freedom, uh, whether it's to go out on their own, whether it's to start a business or work in a position or be in a position of power in a, in a government, uh, once you taste that and sense that you're you're going to make sure you pass that on to the next generation uh, of women that I think is so important. Uh, I wanted to ask you in terms of uh, the international community, uh, and obviously uh, the the exit was was so catastrophic, and a lot of shoulder shrugging of yeah, we know this is is going to be a big step backwards for the women of Afghanistan. What is being done, or what needs to be done, uh, in order to create space uh, for the women of Afghanistan moving forward? The activists I spoke to are really wanting the U.S. and their Western allies to open more avenues for women looking to seek asylum. Right now, you know, in a statement, the State Department said that they continue to identify ways to support Afghans at risk. But the activists I spoke to said that, you know, a significant portion of the Afghan women were employed by foreign organizations. And they were tasked with very sensitive jobs, such as running safe houses for victims of domestic violence, or serving as legal advisors for victims of gender-based violence. And under the Taliban regime, these institutions no longer exist. And the women who ran these facilities are at most risk because the Taliban is now, um, in a sense, looking for them. Um, and, you know, despite the fact that these roles were often very risky, the women who did the work haven't really been given any sort of visa or referral pathways. And many of these women have been detained and some tortured by Taliban authorities on the ground. So they really want more avenues for women to maybe seek asylum. Another thing that the activists I spoke to want is that they want the U.S. to release $3.5 billion in frozen Afghan central bank funds in order to help the Afghan people. Now, U.S. officials said they have no immediate plans to do so, citing terrorism concerns. But I spoke to the Chief Program Officer for Women for Women International, Marie Clark, and she said that by withholding these funds, we are responsible for the continuing 
and deepening humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You know, I spoke to the Women's Rights Division co-director at the Human Rights Watch, Heather Barr, and she said that the U.S. and its allies must take concrete steps that go beyond just condemning the Taliban. You know, we must do more than just issue statements in support of Afghan women. Um, so that's really what the women of Afghanistan also want. Yeah. Uh, fantastic reporting. Great insight. Sarakshi Rai is a deputy editor of social media at The Hill. It's an extraordinary piece. We'll post that today. Uh, and this is a conversation that we cannot uh, let go away. This is when we have to keep bringing to the front. I still believe that the future of freedom in Afghanistan has a very feminine face. And I think it will be these very women who've experienced that freedom uh, will be the ones to lead out in the end. And right now they are struggling. They do feel abandoned. uh, But as uh, Shirakshi has reminded us, they are defiant and determined. And I think they will win in the end. Uh, Shirakshi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we're going to step aside for one last commercial break. That's a a compelling story, a great read today uh, to think about the plight of the Afghan women and what we need to do. What's our responsibility to give them space for freedom to flourish, for education to happen, and for the women of Afghanistan to thrive? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.